0: and well in a dark suit. He was a tall man, six feet or six foot one in height, of rather a slender build. He had black hair, sleek, and brushed back from a high forehead. His face was lean and tanned, and rather pleasant. I judged him to be of a highly strung, rather sensitive type, probably with a very short reaction time. I took him for an officer on leave, possibly in the Air Force— It was no surprise to me when I heard later that he was of a Scotch family. We chatted for some minutes in the corridor. Then they came to summon us to dinner, and we went through to the restaurant car. Darkness had fallen. There was nothing to be seen from the windows of the train, but the little station platform on one side, and the swaying of the branches of the trees on the other. We were marooned right in the middle of a forest, miles from anywhere— I pulled down the blind beside our table and turned to the wine list. It's a great nuisance, sticking here like this, I said absently, studying the card. I ought to have gone out by Imperial Airways. So ought I. There was a turn in his voice that drew my attention from the burgundy and made me raise my head. Do you usually go by air? He hesitated. I ought to explain. I'm one of the senior masters in Imperial Airways. I'm going out to pick up a flying boat at Brindisi. I said, Indeed. I should have thought you would have flown out. I would have done normally, but all the boats this week are leaving with full loads. We're doing a lot of business these days. He paused, and then he said, I don't suppose you know my name. It's Ross. "'Donald Ross.' I smiled. "'My name is Morgan. I'm going out to Rome.' The waiter came to my elbow, making an interruption. I turned again to the wine-list, consulted Ross, and gave our order to the waiter. Then I turned back to the lean, tanned man opposite me. "'That's really very interesting. Were you with Imperial Airways when you were in Canada?' He shook his head. "'They don't operate in Canada. No, that was with a much smaller concern, some years ago, in Quebec. We used to run down as far as Rimouski, and up to East Main and Fort George in Hudson Bay, and on to Churchill. Those were the regular routes. On special trips, of course, we used to go anywhere, all over the north.' He smiled. "'That's where I learnt my French.' but were there many passengers up there? Not many—trappers and prospectors, mostly, and hunting parties in the summer. He paused. But then we carried everything they needed— kerosene, mining machinery, sacks of flour, tinned foods, petrol, dresses for the squaws, pigs and goats—everything you can think of. Extraordinary! It's cheaper to take those things in by air than by canoe with a portage every ten miles. The waiter came and took away the soup plates and brought the fish. We ate in silence for a time. I was thinking, not for the first time, of the wide lives open to the young men of today. With their experience behind them, the world should be well governed when they come to power. In the end I remarked, I've lived a very different life to you. I'm a psychiatrist, a doctor of a sort. He said hesitantly, That means a brain specialist, doesn't it? That's right. I suppose you're on holiday now. I said, Not a bit. I'm on my way to Rome for a consultation. He digested that in silence for a time, probably wondering how much I got for going out to Rome— The fish-plates were taken away, and they brought the gigot. When the waiter had gone, he said, "'You'll forgive me, but I don't know much about these things. Do you do dreams and all that?' I smiled. "'To some extent. Dreams are useful if you don't try to read too much into them.' "'I see.' We went on with the meal in silence. From time to time I shot a glance at my companion. He now had something on his mind. I was convinced of that. He was in a brown study.